Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. My name is Mark, and we believe that uh, God brought everyone here today on purpose. We believe that God is a good God. And if you're new to our church, I want you to know you don't have to believe what we believe to be welcome here. We actually believe that you belong long before you believe. And God is very inclusive, not exclusive. And today, I hope that you feel encouraged. And I'll be honest with you, even if I was atheist or agnostic or preferred some other religion prescribed to that, I think I would still come to this church because of how friendly people are, because how much these messages are encouraging to my everyday life. And certainly, I believe in Jesus, that he is who he says he is. But I believe there's value in the Bible that transcends just Christianity. Are you following me? And so today, we're going to have a good time together. If you believe it, say amen. I want to let you know that we do believe in having a good time in church. So you have permission to laugh? You can tell your face you're excited. And uh, no, we're going to have a good time, though, today. Uh, If you're new to our church, today we are 35 Sundays old. And uh, we're almost nine months old, which is amazing because two days ago was our one-year anniversary of landing to California with a U-Haul trailer. And I saw it pop up on my Facebook timeline. One year ago, we moved here. We didn't know anybody. And now we've met hundreds of amazing people that are good looking. They have low self-esteem, but they're good looking. And uh, no, we've met some gifted people, creative people, kind people. So many of you are so nice to hang out with. You're, you're awful drivers, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, very friendly people. And we're so honored to be here with you. Uh, today at our, our church, we've been in a series called Close. And we launched it right out of Easter, and I really felt like God said, everyone shows up to church at Easter that comes once a year. And I said, God, if I had the audience of everyone that only comes one week out of the whole year, is there anything special you want me to tell them? And he said to tell them to come back next week because we'll do a series on how to get closer to God. And I feel like everyone, if we're being honest, when we come to church, usually it's because someone's making us if we don't want to go, or it's because we have a desire in our heart, something inside of us says, my life would be better if I got closer to God. And that's been kind of the the premise of this entire series. The first week, we talked about close talkers and how God spoke to a prophet in the Old Testament through a whisper. And whisper was because you can only hear whispers if you're, and that's why God spoke in a whisper and not in a mighty sound, is we talked about close talkers. Last week, we talked about close walkers And we talked about a couple of guys that walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And the guy's name was Cleo. He was sad because his name was Cleo. You had to be here to catch that joke. And we talked about how these guys walked with Jesus. And their hearts burned inside of their chest when they walked with him. And they walked close with Jesus. And then today, I was going to do another message. But God changed the agenda a little bit because it's Mother's Day. And he told me that I wanted wanted to, uh, to tell the people today, talk about... Uh, the power of close sitters. So talkers, walkers, and sitters. Is that okay? And I'm not talking about babysitters. Uh, I'm talking about sitting close, sitting close. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read five verses if you're new to our church. I'm going to pray really quick. I usually throw in a prayer for the Lakers because they can use all the prayers we can get. And after I pray, uh, I'm going to tell a couple stories, maybe a couple jokes. Hopefully we laugh a little bit today in church. It says, laughter does good like medicine. Who needs some meds today? Come on. 
And so we'll take some medicine, and then uh, we're going to tell, uh, again, everything I teach on out of these five verses will be connected to the five verses that I read in the beginning. And so why don't you follow along? If you don't have a Bible, you can check it out on the screen behind me. And again, most people don't like church because it's boring. Uh, there are boring churches. You're not in one of those today. Other people don't like churches because they're judgmental. There are judgmental churches. You're not in one of those churches today. And there's other churches that you go to that you learn things that have no application to everyday life. Again, there are churches like that, but you're not in one of those churches today. So if you're with me today, come on, one more time, say amen. All right, let's go. Luke chapter 10, five verses talking about two sisters, Mary and Martha, talking about women on Mother's Day. It's going to be fun. Verse 38, now it happened as they went into a certain village that they came to a certain woman named Martha. Say with me. Perfect. That was without me. That was good. Martha welcomed him into her house. She welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister named Mary who also sat. She sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his words, his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister is not helping me do the dishes and prepare the food and get the cheese trays out? Do you not care that I'm doing this all by myself. Therefore, why don't you tell her to come help me? And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled, worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. I want to talk to you today about close sitters, sitters. And uh, we're going to have a good time if you believe it. Come on, say amen. All right, God, let's pray. I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in Orange County at uh, Ocean's Church. We thank you for 35 weeks of building great community, great friendships. It's amazing that, God, a year ago, everyone in this room would have been a stranger. I could have walked by them in my sweats. I probably did when I first moved here. But I thank you that, Lord, today we find ourselves as friends, as family. And I thank you that, God, the next 35 weeks are going to be richer, fuller, better than the last. We thank you that good days are in store, that you're awakening spiritually this city, this region. And that, God, you're going to use Ocean's Church as one of the many churches to usher in this great spiritual awakening. We just pray you'd bless this service. I pray every mom feels special. And I pray that we'd have an awesome Sunday together. Lord, help the Lakers next season. Do what you can. In Jesus' name. If you believe it, come on, say amen. 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 Always faith is, all, the faith always diminishes at that last part. But it's okay. I forgive you. I, uh, I don't know if you've been to sporting. Who likes to go to sporting events? I know we live in an era of HD television, so today it's almost better experience. It is, let's be honest, to watch the game in the comfort of your living room. But when I was growing up, we used to go to Laker games uh, at the Forum. How many remember the Forum in Inglewood? It's like if you survived the walk to the, to the stadium and back to your car, it was a win. <clears throat> we would go to Clippers games when they played the Lakers because we were Lakers fans, but the tickets were half the price when the Clippers were at home. And my dad would scrounge up every dollar he could. We'd buy tickets for me and my two brothers, uh, Chuck and Lucifer. Love that joke. His name was Satan. Um, and we would go to these Laker games, and inevitably we would show up to the stadium. And I always knew we brought binoculars with us because we would be watching the game from the very top row of the form. And we would literally be at the top row. I could touch the ceiling of the, the stadium. And these seven-foot superheroes look like ants from where we were sitting. And I'll never forget, you know, I, I would spend more time with my binoculars looking for famous people than I did watching the game because it just wasn't very interesting watching athletes that were that big and talented from that far away. 
And then a few years ago, I've been able to, you know, mentor and pastor a lot of athletes. Some of them play in the NBA. And uh, one of the guys got me floor tickets to watch him play in Salt Lake City. He played for the Bulls at the time. And uh, I literally sat on the wood floor. And a big part of me just wanted to go scout the tickets, retire early. <laughs> but I decided to go to the game. It was interesting. My observation was is that my experience on the floor was far different than in the top of the ceiling. And what I realized was it was the same sport, same athleticism, the same size superheroes on the court. But what was far different was my interest. And what I've learned was is proximity will always determine your interest, your engagement. And I felt like therein lies an idea that I want to introduce to you today is that the close, uh, where you sit with God will always determine your interest of God. And I feel like many people are dissatisfied, disinterested with their faith, with Jesus, maybe a little bit uh, disillusioned with Christianity. And I would suggest to you that God is not boring, dull, or unathletic. I would suggest to you that you're just sitting a little bit too far from the action. I believe that interest always determines, come on, uh, how close you sit. And how close you sit determines your interest. It's interesting that throughout the Bible, sitting was a, a major theme. I started studying it this week. There's over 225 uh, kind of different uh, ideas of sitting in the, in the scriptures. Sitting is interesting. Uh, it's interesting to me because sitting always uh, it, it insinuated it insinuated a couple things. The state of resting. You sat when you were resting. People didn't work uh, behind cubicles like they do today. That when you sat in Bible days, you were resting. So it was the idea of resting. It was also you would sit when you had authority over something. Judges would sit on the throne and execute judgment from a seat of authority. So sitting indicated rest. It indicated authority. And thirdly, it always denoted intimacy. That if you sat with certain crowds, that's why Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor sits, sits in the seat of the scornful. And the idea is, is that you are, whoever you're intimate with will be who you become like. And many people won't become like God because they never sit intimately with God. And I do believe that the Bible's clear over and over again. It says, you, he who walks with the wise will become wise. And so we find here that sitting carries a couple of ideas. It, it, it carries the idea of rest, authority, and intimacy. Rest, authority, and intimacy. I love this story because it starts off by talking about two ladies and if you're taking notes today, I just have really three points for you today. That if we're going to be a community, that we sit close to the action. That we sit close to what God is doing in our lives, in our cities, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our, with our children. I believe the first requirement to being close to the action and, and being a sitter that's close to God is, number one, we have to do what Martha did. We have to actually invite the presence of Jesus to come into our house. Maybe you're here today like, I've never heard the voice of God, never felt the goosies, as Jennifer Lopez calls them, goosebumps. Never felt goosebumps, tingles, presence of God. I've never, never been really spiritually hungry for God. Maybe you're here, you're like, you know, I think Christianity is like any other world religion. It's like any other church on any other corner. What I'd like to say to you is just because churches all look similar from the outside, they are far different on the inside. Because what you believe determines what you, what you, where you travel. What do you mean? I mean, taxi cabs all look the same, but they don't go to the same places. Are you following me? 
All ships don't go to Australia. All trains don't go to Sydney. All buses don't go to Los Angeles. Are you following me? Different destinations determine, uh, or different beliefs determine different destinations. And I would suggest to you today that you're like, I don't know if God is real, if he does care, if he is personal. And what I would suggest to you today that if you want to be a close sitter, you got to make up your mind, like Martha, say, you know what? My house might not be perfect. It might not be suitable for God of the universe to come inside of it. Maybe I have too much clutter in my house. Maybe the inside of your life looks a little bit like hoarders. Come on, somebody. It's a scary show. But maybe you're here and you're like, I don't think that I'm worthy to host the presence of God. But I would say to you that the greatest thing that you can do if you want to get close to his voice is you have to make an internal decision to say, God, I want all of you that I can have. If you can come into my life, you are welcome. Martha makes a really good decision in the beginning. She says, I want to welcome the presence of Jesus into my life. And I want you to know that God is a gentleman. Some of you are like, well, you're going to try to cram this down my throat today, preacher? Absolutely not. God has never forced himself on anybody. God is a gentleman, and he'll say, you know, I'll stand, like Revelation says, at the door of your life, and I will knock, and I'll wait for you to open up for me. God has never had a battering ram, never busted into somebody's life. He is a gentleman that, that comes into your life when you say, you're welcome. Say with me, you're welcome. So we find here that close sitters make a first decision to say, you know what? I want God to come into my space. I've learned this, that if I'll create a place, God will always bring his presence. Many times we lack the presence of God because we don't create a place for God. That's why it says over and over again, go into the secret and your father who sees in will reward you. Open rewards come to people that make a private place. Presence always fills the place and the space that we create for God. One of my friends in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> one of my friends in, in New York this week, he's a pastor in New York. He's Australian. He's a brilliant guy, way smarter than me. I'm like, I just love Jesus. Um, but he said, he's like, he told me the story about how he felt so convicted because he had this, he had his kind of therapeutic uh, confessional in front of all these other pastors in New York last week. And he said, I got to confess to you guys, I started liking a show I probably shouldn't like. He said, I started watching it religiously. He said, I watched the entire thing in like a week and a half, all 20 seasons or whatever it was. He's like, it was called the Sons of Anarchy. And he said, there was about a made-up biker gang from Northern California. He said, I figured out, he's so smart. I figured out I spent 100 hours of my life becoming friends with a fictional biker gang from Northern California. He said, I spent 100 hours with these people. He said, then I felt like God said, do an experiment and see what you can accomplish in 100 hours. So you know what he did is he turned off his Netflix, God forbid. And he actually sat down, he began to write, he started studying, he began writing. And he actually wrote two books. One book he wrote that blessed the entire body of Christ in 82 hours. He wrote another book in 87 hours. And what he said to me is, he said something so convicting. He says, Mark, we have a generation that has dreams in their hearts that are rotting in the soil of amusement. And many times, if we're not careful, the, 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 the bales of our day are not golden calf images. We bow our knees to entertainment, amusement, and convenience. And I think if we're not careful, what happens is, is Martha teaches us that if we're not intentional, we'll invite God into our life, but we'll get so distracted with everything else. Isn't it crazy? She started off right. Come on in. And he walks into the house. He sits down in the living room. Martha's like, oh my gosh, God is in my house. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine like, oh my gosh, did I, did I clean the, did I scrub the toilet? 
is like, is there a clean towel in there? Oh my gosh, what does he want to snack on? What would God like to eat? She walks into her kitchen. She's looking through all the pantries. She's like, man, what, what plate would be worthy of God? She's freaking out. She's having a panic attack, nervous breakdown. She has her inhaler. She's like, she's doing everything she can do. And she's having this crazy moment because she realizes, oh my gosh, God is in my house. But it says that anxiety and worry and trouble and stress begin to bombard her mind. Because if we're not careful, what happens is we think that what we have to offer God is greater than what he has to offer You know what anxiety and trouble plagues your life is when you think that you invite God into your life because you have more to offer him than he has to offer you. I want you to know that one of the things about Christianity is, is when he comes into our dirty lives that are unworthy of his presence, he always brings way more than we bring to the table. We think, oh my gosh, she's going to love this cheese dish. He's going to love this feta. He's going to be crazy about my crackers. You really think that the God that made everything would be impressed with what you're serving him. But I think that the the moral of the story is this, as you can write this down. The second thing I have for you, if you're going to invite the presence of God into your life, if you're going to sit close, is we have to make up our minds that we're going to serve him, but never at the expense of sitting. So you write it like this. Serving without sitting always leads to legalism. You know when churches get legalistic? Like rules, rules, you can't do this, you can't drink that, you can't smoke this, you can't sleep with that, you can't do this, can't do this. all these rules. No, 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 no. You know why churches become this sterile environment of legalism is when we try to do more for God than we do with God. Because I'll tell you the truth, when God shows up, you don't have to tell people what not to do. It says the Holy Spirit convicts people. I don't preach can't, in our, you'll notice this in Ocean's Church, I don't ever get up and say you can't. Because I know what it's like to be a kid and your mom and dad say, you can't do this. You're like, okay, thanks for giving me a list of things to do. I believe that can'ts don't motivate people. Cans do. I'm not going to tell my kids, you can't do this, you can't do that. I'll tell them what you can do. You can hear the voice of God, Kenzie. You can learn how to read your Bible for yourself. You can have a relationship with God that's better than your mom and I's. You can do greater things in life than we did. You can be like your mom and stand up in her high school for for a righteous cause and serve God her entire life. You can. And I'll tell you right now, there's more power in the can than the can. Because remember, the service without sitting always leads to legalism. But you can write it this way. Sitting without serving always leads to hypocritical living. Because we learn more about God than we actually practice in our everyday lives. James says, faith without actions is dead. So to sit at his feet and pray for 40 hours a day, it's it's tough to do. And not ever do anything. At some point, you have to get off your knees of sitting and say, God, I'm ready to stand on my feet and do something for you. And here's the beautiful combination. I believe that we're supposed to be like Martha at times and serve, but never at the expense of being like Mary and sit. Are you tracking? Are you still with me today? So on this Mother's Day, I want to point out to you that Martha served, but she had a problem with number three, The power of sitting. She had a problem with this with Mary. Notice she wasn't upset at anybody else in the house. It's likely that Lazarus was there, and she didn't get mad at her brother for sitting. She got mad at Mary. And this is the part of the story, if you've heard this passage preached, that you're like, I've heard this a million times. Okay, don't be like Martha. But this is the part that most people have never seen before, is that this was far bigger than a, a, uh, like, house, like a housewife, like, come help me do the dishes and cut cheese. That was not the intent of Martha's frustration. It was far bigger than this. 
Because when it says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, what's happening here is there is an explosion. If you were a first century Jew reading this, your mind would have blew out of your your head. Because you would have gone, wait a second, you're telling me that a woman is sitting at the feet of a rabbi? You gotta understand in in the rabbinic tradition in the world of antiquity, rabbis would always choose their pupils. Pupils would never choose the rabbis. That's why Christianity is so crazy that Jesus did not do all the formal training that all the rabbis did, but he started at 30 years of age. And he didn't go to Princeton or Harvard or Stanford to select his pupils. He actually went to not the perfect 12, but the dirty dozen. And he goes to the Sea of Galilee and he picks a really crooked fisherman, a couple other anger, angry fishermen. And then he picks a, uh, a tax collector sitting at the IRS booth named Matthew. Matthew was sitting, by the way. And I did a study. It was interesting that some of the greatest miracles in the Bible occurred when people were sitting, waiting for God. It says two blind men were by the side of the road. Over, Son of David, have mercy on me. I started studying throughout over and over again stories about how it says in the Old Testament that Hannah started crying out to God. And while the priest, uh, while the priest Eli was sitting, God answered her prayer. And it was interesting over and over again that God was kind of interested in doing these miracles while people were sitting. Because I think that the, the point is, is that the power of miracles is not in your, your power to do. It's in your power to rest. I'm going to sit here. So I says, be still and know that I am God. Remember, sitting is authoritative. It's intimate. And it has to deal with even uh, being, being at rest. And so we see here that Mar- Mar- Martha is, is fired up. She goes, Mary, how dare you, as a woman, try to go into a man's world? And what Jesus does is he throws a bomb in the middle of the social stratosphere of the ancient day that would actually say, you know what? I, uh, followers don't pick their rabbis. Rabbis pick their followers. And Jesus would actually select Mary, a woman, to sit at his feet. And here's what sitting at the feet of a rabbi meant. It literally indicated that rabbis would select you under two bases. They would select their followers because they believed ultimately that what they were, you could become. This is an ideology of the rabbinic world, is rabbis would never select any students that they didn't believe could become like them. That's why Jesus rebuked Peter when he, when he sank in the water. Because his expectations was, if I, the rabbi, can walk on the waters, so can you. I want you to catch this this morning, that rabbis selected their followers because they believed they could become like them. So when Mary is sitting and learning what Jesus knew, Jesus is saying that you can become like I am. That you can become a great thinker, a great leader. You can actually innovate. And by the way, if I was a female in this room today, I'd get excited because unlike any other religious leader in history, Jesus brought dignity, power, and integrity to women. For some reason, in a day and age that they didn't even record women in the Bible. A woman's uh, testimony wasn't even validated in the court of law in Bible days. And yet, over and over again throughout the Bible, God has this fascination with including women. Starting in the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, or as some of you think, Job. In the book of Job, the very last chapter of Job's life, it says after he went through all the pain and all the suffering, he does a couple weird things I'll preach on another time. But one of the strangest things that Job does is he leaves an inheritance to his daughters. You did not do that in the world of antiquity. It was unheard of. 
And the idea that most scholars would suggest to you is, is that Job got so close to God that his irrational kindness became the same irrational kindness that God had. And that God would entrust things to people that no one else would entrust things to. And he would select people that no one else would select. And he would let people sit close to him that no one else would sit close to him. It's crazy to me that over and over again, God uses women throughout the Bible to get his point across. From the very beginning of this book, we see that God gives dignity and honor to women. You see that Miriam is the older sister of Moses, and she's used by God in a mighty way. Hannah prays a prayer that raises up the most accurate prophet in the entire Old Testament. You see that Ruth, this is crazy, Ruth is a byproduct of a crazy story. And by the way, let me just tangent here for a minute. You know, Matthew chapter one, it tells you the family of Jesus. And in your Bible reading, you read it as fast as you can. I'll preach this at another time too. But it's most interesting about Matthew chapter one is that Jesus writes his family lineage, his family tree. And I want you to think about this for a second. He is the only individual in history that had the power to hand select his family members. You ever thought about that? I mean, if you and I could have picked our family, I'd be like, all right, I want a dad that's as wealthy as Bill Gates. I want him to look like Brad Pitt. Come on, hello, church. I'm, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stack my genetic pool. I'm going to be a freak. I'm like, I want LeBron James athleticism. Are you hearing me? Like, I'm going to stack my pool. But God, this is interesting, Matthew chapter 1, in a day that no one would, would talk about women, he puts a prostitute in his family lineage. From Jericho. And this process is crazy. This, this woman was not only uh, had a dirty past, but she was a woman of faith that, hide, that hid. There, there it is. Hid. She hided. She hided the spies. She hid these spies. It says that out of all of Jericho, when it was destroyed, only one house was saved. The house of Rahab, the prostitute. And it actually goes on to say that she didn't just survive this, this crazy invasion. It goes on to say later in the book uh, of Joshua, it says that she actually lives among Israel today. And she would actually go on to marry a man by the name of S-A-L-M-O-N, Salmon, Salmon. And Salmon and her get married. They have a baby. He's a wealthy business guy probably because his son's name is Boaz. And Boaz is probably so inspired by the testimony of his mom that he goes, you know what? I'm going to take a risk on an ex-widowed lady by the name of Ruth. Ruth isn't even an Israelite either. But guess what? My mom wasn't. I could preach this all day long. I think it's interesting that Ruth and a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. That Tamar, who's a crooked kind of weird woman who ends up doing some crazy stuff I'm not even going to talk about today in church. She's in the family lineage of Jesus. I look throughout this Bible in the book of Kings. There's a, a prophet, the only female prophet in the book of Kings. Her name is Huldah. You see, Lydia, and Lydia's a successful businesswoman, one of the early converts of the Christian church. She actually hosts meetings in her house in the early church. You see that Priscilla is married to this awesome guy named Aquila. They built tents for a living. And it's interesting that the author, Luke, did not have to say anything about this woman. But every time he mentioned Aquila, he mentioned Priscilla, insinuating that her value to the church was just as important as her husband's. I could go on talking about John Mark, how John Mark's mother actually hosted the early church. Likely the cousin of Barnabas or the aunt of Barnabas, John Mark's mom was hosting the prayer meeting when the angel came into the prison and broke Peter out of jail. Peter ran, watch this, to John Mark's mom's house 
when he got out of prison. If that doesn't tell you the importance of this woman's life, I don't know what does. Throughout the Bible, I see powerful woman, powerful woman. There's a, 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 there was a deacon who served in a church uh, uh, named uh, Phoebe. There it is. Make sure I pronounce that right. Yeah, Mary Magdalene is the first person that saw Jesus resurrect from the grave. The first, if we're being honest, the first person that became a Christian. Because she believed in her heart what she saw. <laughs> and she was at X, if you want to know her story, she used to be demon-possessed. And God, come on. Hey, God, I want, God's come back from the grave. Think about this. He's talking to the Holy Spirit and the Father in heaven. He's like, all right, who should we have to be the first eyewitness? Hey, guys, what do you think? Come on. Trinity, what do you guys think? And they're talking about who will be the first eyewitness to tell the world that I came back from death, hell, and the grave. And somehow, some reason, in the wisdom of God, because he chooses the foolish things, he chooses the things that are not to put to shame the things that are. He chooses the simple things to confound the wise things. And he goes, you know what we should do? We should pick someone that no one else would pick. Be awesome. And the whole world would be like, this can't be God because this is too crazy. Hey, where should, where should, I be, where should we be born? What do you think, Ritz-Carlton? Montage, Laguna Beach, come on. If I'm coming into the world, I'm coming in the world with style. He's like, how about Bethlehem? If there's a barn and a cave that has like a little feeding trough, this would be awesome. Isn't it crazy that God over and over again seems to do things that nobody else would do? And Martha's having a panic attack. She's like, you don't belong in a man's world. But Jesus corrects her and says, she picked the right thing. Because listen to me, God can choose anybody to sit close to him. That is my thesis this morning. You're not too broken. You're not too disturbed. You're not too dysfunctional. There is no one in this room that has disqualified themselves so much that I can't live my life close to God. You can write this down. You determine how close you live your life to God. And unfortunately, some of you guys are going to choose to live at a three or a four when you could have lived at a ten. And you might make it to heaven, but heaven never made it to you on this side of eternity. And some of you are going to have to go to educational classes when we get to heaven to learn all the things that you neglected on earth. But I want you to know that if you could know God out of 10, why wait to get to heaven? Come on, can I get a good amen? I just feel like some of you, you know what I think is killing the church? is secondhand Christianity. Secondhand smoke kills people, but not as many people as secondhand Christianity. Many people are living in the smoke of other people's fire. And God says, I don't want you to live in someone else's smoke. I want you to have your own fire. And I'll be honest, when you taste his fire, you'll never be satisfied with living in the smoke. I love Christianity because I love to win. And all he does is win. <laughs> I love Christianity. I hate losing. I do. And I don't know why you'd be into witchcraft and Ouija boards, warlocks. That stuff's real. But it's a second-class power. I'm a Christian because I know the future. My grandma and grandpa used to have this bumper sticker on the Crown Victoria that was bad to the bone. It says, I know the future, God wins. And I want you to know today that there is a power that supersedes any dark force, dark power that's in the world. And that's why I wish Hollywood would start making horror movies properly. Because they always make horror movies with like some like skinny priest who's peeing down his pant leg, scared of the dark demon. And I'm like, I wish Hollywood would show it how it really is. Show it like it was in the Bible. That legion who was demon-possessed, naked in a tomb, ripping chains off, fell at the knees of Jesus. 
My grandpa got saved at a William Branham meeting, who was a revivalist in the early 1900s. He told me a story about being in a meeting, and in the meeting they were in this arena, and he said that there was a this little William Branham. He's like he was like five foot two or three. The band could come up here, I'm almost done. He was five foot two or three, and he said literally in the middle of the meeting, this packed uh, stadium in Portland, Oregon. He said this giant guy, he was like six foot eight, nine, came in, and in the middle of his message started shouting out with some crazy demon voice, like just mocking William Branham and what he was saying. And William Branham, true story, my, my grandpa was there to testify this. He said, I thought for sure William Branham was getting ready to get killed. Because this guy stood up and just started shouting in this crazy, scary voice. And William Branham looked at this guy and he pointed him this little tiny finger. He said, you will bow your knees before you leave this room in the name of Jesus. And my grandpa said, it was like someone put a hand on this giant's head and started pushing him down to the ground. And he went down on all four like a dog, and he actually skirted out of the room on all fours. And I want you to know, listen to me, that we don't serve a second-class power. We serve a God that has all power, all authority. You know what it says? It says he's going to come back, the Son of Man. He says, I see the Son of Man coming, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And when he comes, he comes with power. Call me old-fashioned, but I believe that one day he's going to come back. The trumpet's going to sound. He's going to split the sky in half. And you're going to see him riding on a white horse with a legion of military militia. And I'm telling you that he's going to reclaim there's going to be new heavens. There's going to be new earths. I got news for you today. Some of you are planning far more for your retirement than you are for your eternity. And I would suggest to you today that the greatest thing you can do on this side of eternity is to prepare for the other side of it. I'm sorry. There's some fire in here today. I want you to know that Martha was upset because she thought that God only had certain favorites that could sit close. But I want you to know that if you're in this room, I just have a really simple thought for you, that you're God's favorite. You're his favorite. And maybe you weren't your mom or dad's favorite. Maybe you weren't your aunt and uncle's favorite. Maybe you feel like you're not your teacher's favorite. Maybe if you're being honest, you say, Mark, I don't know if anyone's ever really fully accepted me. I just want you to know today, I feel like the love of God is in this room to just point a finger at you and say, you're my favorite. I love you. I know you. I know where you come from. I'm acquainted with your sorrow, your tears, your pain. Some of you have been to church your whole life, but you've never been in an atmosphere like this that you're like, why am I getting emotional right now? It's the presence of God. And I want you to know we came to Orange County not to be another church on another street corner, but we wanted to be an airport that God could land his presence every week. We have a lot of educated Christians that are completely unknowledgeable about the presence of God. He's here. And on Mother's Day, I want to ask you a question. Are you, are you sitting closer, as close as you want to sit? Maybe if I could just incite a little bit of hunger inside of you today. Maybe you leave that you just want a little bit more of God than you had when you came in. I did my job. <laughs> if you would say, Mark, I want to host the presence of Jesus. What about pain in the world? Invite Jesus into your life. What about suffering? Invite Jesus into your life. What, what about all the questions I don't have answered? Invite Jesus into your life. You know what I've learned? Long before I knew what my wife believed and what she knew, I had to just invite her into my life. You know, it's interesting. I learned everything about her after I invited her into my life. You know what many atheists get mad at is they want to know all the answers of God and the revelations of God without ever inviting God into their lives.
And I want you to know some questions are only answered when he comes into your life. Are you hearing me? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.